All right, so having just gone through this idea of separation, this thing that we really don't want to experience, but sometimes we do, let's go back, let's turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, the very beginning of your Bible, and we're going to look at the original design uh, for humanity to understand why we feel this way when we're in these types of situations and get a better picture of what our Creator intended for us to experience. So we'll go there to Genesis chapter 1. And we'll look at, we'll start in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in connection to what we started out talking about, we see some key words here that clue us into what God's pattern for humanity is. Um, Let us make man in our image, our likeness. He created them male and female. And if we look just in the next chapter, um, chapter 2, verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Um, So God spoke and created many things, right? And what did he say after he created everything up to this point? He said, It is good, right? God is satisfied with his creation. He made man alone, and it was not good. Right? So we see right away that we were made to live in relationship. Right? Um, Right away, in the verses that we read, we see God giving instructions to humanity. And it wasn't just like a, you know, a printed out set of rules. God's talking with his creatures, right? With With Adam and Eve to tell them, be fruitful, multiply, to give them instruction. God also tells them uh, what is good for food. Um, He gives them other instructions if you read through the first two chapters. And it's crazy. Like we've read through the creation account so many times that we sort of lose the significance that the creator of the universe is talking with people. That he takes time to listen and commune with his people. So we see that pattern set up right from the beginning. Um, We also see that... um, Let's see, in Genesis 2, verse 7, if you want to turn there. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Um, So what we see there is that God didn't just speak humanity into existence. Um, He knelt down and formed us from the dust of the ground, right? He breathed into our nostrils. So right away, there's not distance between humanity and God. There's closeness. There's intimacy. And that's the relationship that we were created for. That's the relationship that God wants you to have today with him. Um, But, of course, we know that um, it didn't continue this way, right? So humanity um, chose, I guess, when the serpent tempted um, Eve and Adam, it was basically that God is trying to keep you from something that will make you happy, right? You can have knowledge of good and evil. God doesn't want you to have this. You shall not surely die. Um, 
and they gave in to this doubt. So for the first time, they go from God's providing all of our needs. He gave us companionship. We have close communion with him. He gave us the Sabbath. We know it from Mark 2 that God gave the Sabbath to bless man. A time set apart for communion with God. Um, he gave us all these blessings, communed with us directly, and then we doubt God. We, we have no reason to, but it's like, oh, what if, you know, what if he's not providing all of our needs? And we still have this sort of question in our heart that the flesh tends to ask, what if, you know, God isn't providing what we need? Um, and so what we're going to go through today um, is just going through human history. So we've started at creation. We've seen how God's original plan was to be close with his creatures. We're going to walk through history and look at, through different phases of the people of God um, living on earth, how did God get close to them and live near them? Um, so before we move on to the next story, I want to jump to Genesis 3.15. Let you turn there, and it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So we see right away um, that even though there was a fall, a separation between God and humanity, God didn't take a long time to figure out a way to get his kids back, right? He had a plan right away and a promise right here in Genesis of um, solving the problem of the space between us. So he would conquer the evil one. He would bring a solution about to close the gap between humanity and God. Um, so we're going to keep looking at this, um, how this promise is fulfilled, um, how God is basically closing the gap between us and him as we look through um, the history of humanity. So staying in Genesis, we're going to turn over just a few pages to Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at the life of Abraham. So we'll go to Genesis 12, verse 1. And this is basically the call and promise to Abraham. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what we see here is that Abraham is calling God... Or, sorry, God is calling Abraham away from his home country, right? And calling him to a place that God will show him as he goes. So Abraham takes a step of faith and says, I, you know, I will leave my home country, which I'm used to. Uh, my family's here. Um, but, but we also know that um, you know, God was worshipped in Abraham's family's area, but also other gods were worshipped. And so idolatry was playing a part there. And Abraham wanted to, God wanted to call Abraham out of this place so that he could um, interact with his faithful um, follower and make an impact in the world, building Abraham into a great nation. And in the last few words there, we see that all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we know that's a promise for the Messiah that would come through Abraham's lineage. Um, so we know that all of the earth was blessed through Abraham's seed. Um, so in a time of rampant idolatry and wickedness, God knew the biggest blessing for humanity would be if he drew especially near 
and worked with one faithful patriarch and then one faithful family that descended from him. Um, And they were to be a special example as what it looks like to be a people that walks through life with God. Um, So they had a special connection and purpose um, God had for them as a people going uh, living in the world. And it wasn't meant to be exclusive, an exclusive blessing. It was meant to be a connection that was shared with the world, right? And so that was kind of lost through history um, that Abraham was uh, a priest to the people around him, the communities around him, and the, the cultures and kingdoms around noticed Abraham. They noticed his faith, and they knew of his God, and that's how God intended it. It wasn't supposed to be an exclusive relationship. It was supposed to be um, an example of what it looks like when humans walk hand-in-hand with God. So we know the story. Abraham goes where God calls him, and there's a lot involved in that history. But the amazing thing is that Abraham trusted in this promise and really didn't see its fulfillment during his lifetime. He didn't see um, a huge you know, uh, quantity of land becoming his. He had to buy just a plot to get buried in. Um, he didn't see his seed multiply, you know, like the sand of the, the seashore. Um, he didn't see that, but he believed it, and that is accounted to him for righteousness. So it was this closeness with God that gave him a trust through the tr- trials and challenges that he faced, um, through the calling that he answered and went into the unknown. Um, it was his relationship with God, that trust in God, that closeness with God that got him through those challenges and made him someone that could be an example in the world. So if we um, skip ahead, uh, we're going to skip the time of the, um, Abraham's family spent in bondage that was actually foretold to Abraham. Um, we see God deliver his people as he promised to Abraham. And then uh, we're going to take a look at where God invited his people, the Israelites, into a covenant relationship with him. Um, so we're going to turn to the next book over, Exodus. Um, we're going to read chapter 19, verse 3. And the word says, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So what is God calling them to here? He's calling them to obedience, right? But he's also calling them into this special covenant relationship where God wants to be, again, close with his people. While the children of Israel were in Egypt, um, it was difficult for them to be close with God. Wouldn't you agree with that? It was difficult for them to keep the Sabbath. It was difficult for them to worship. Um, and so God takes them on this journey through the wilderness of basically reacquainting himself with Israel, showing him what kind of God that, that he is and, um, calling them into a closeness with them. Um, and so at this point, um, Israel going through the wilderness, God gave them tangible manifestations of his closeness. 
It wasn't just, hey, I met with you on Sinai, and now you're on your own. <laughs> Instead, what, what was it? Think in your mind um, how God was close with the Israelites during this time when they were being led through the wilderness. Uh, we had a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That, can you imagine that? The, the presence, the glory of the Almighty God leading you. <laughs> when was the last time you took a hike and you know, like you're looking up and there's the presence of God showing you which way you should go in? Um, what an awesome example of God being close with his people. Um, that's not the only example. We also have the sanctuary. So during their wandering, God calls Moses um, and the other leaders of the time uh, to set up something that would enable direct connection uh, between earth and heaven. Um, and this is the sanctuary. And it's a system um, that the people could really understand how the mechanics of salvation and that sin really does take a toll. It does cost something. Um, so, yeah, God wants to restore his relationship with humanity, um, but it's really he himself he's providing to bridge that gap. And this is what the sanctuary was going to demonstrate. And so we'll turn again a few pages over to Exodus 25, 8. And it says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may what among them? Dwell among them. So don't let the significance of that word get lost on you. You know, we're familiar with this story. We're familiar with the, the glory of God resting above the Ark of the Covenant. But this is the creator of the universe being with his people. And it's no different today. God wants to be with us. He wants to dwell in our hearts. Um, so we see time and time again uh, that God is closing the gap that was introduced by sin, the separation that we all feel in our hearts. He's closing the gap to be near and with his people. And we know that the sanctuary was their path to understand, understanding forgiveness and cleansing from sin. Uh, the process that we need to go through um, to deal with the things that separate us from God, right? This atoning process by which we can go from being, uh, having wronged God, sinned against him, to then being reunited with God and um, being able to let him take the sin from us, to cleanse and wash us of that, and that we can be in confidently in a close relationship with God again. So what a blessing that God set up this um, opportunity for atonement, to be made right with God, reconciled. Um, it's kind of a, a restoration to the Eden picture, right? The Garden of Eden where we could be close with God and nothing was separating us. So let's turn over to another example of God wanting to be close with his people. We'll turn to the book of 2 Samuel and chapter 7. Okay, and we'll be looking at verses, uh, let's see, 2 through 3, and then... Uh, we're going to jump around a little bit. Um, so what we're looking at is a time where um, David is talking with Nathan about, uh, David had just built this palace for himself. And then he's looking at his palace. He's looking at the tabernacle and saying, something's not right here. I just built this opulent place for myself. And the house of God is in, uh, you know, doesn't even compare basically with what he had built. 
Um, so 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2. Um, it says, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. And he basically asks, um, asks God if he can build a temple, if that would be pleasing to God. And how does the prophet reply? Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. He's with you in your intention to do this, right? So let's jump up to verse 12. And um, this is a promise from God um, spoken through the prophet to David. I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. So we see the relationship part there. It's not just like God is saying, oh, you know, thank you for giving me an opulent temple. Instead, it's a house for his name where his kingdom could be established, but I will be his father and he shall be my son. And that was really a promise um, for, the, for Israel in general, right? Not just Solomon, David's son. Um, so in, ver- in 1 Kings um, chapter 8, it says, Lord of God of Israel, this is during the, when Solomon actually fulfilled this and uh, built the temple. Um, he says, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you in all their hearts. And then later on in the chapter, it says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the kingdom and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple, which I have built. So Solomon knew that he built this grand temple, and yet God's presence couldn't be contained there. Um, you see, Israel, um, they lost sight of the fact that, yeah, God was in the temple, but he's also, his throne is in heaven, right? And he can also dwell in our hearts, and that's his vision for humanity. They came to regard the temple as the place where God is. And if you don't have the temple, then you can't be close with God. So they sort of lost the whole um, relationship dynamic and the, the evangelistic mission that they had to bring other people to God as a chosen people. Um, so again, you know, we went through creation. We looked at um, Abraham's life, uh, the wilderness, and now we see a temple where God still wants to dwell with his people. Um, okay, so the next thing we're going to look at is um, the life of Jesus. And, and what we're going to talk about is um, the incarnation, the fact that God himself came down to the earth, became one of us. Um, so let's read about that. Let's turn to the New Testament now. We're going to go to the book of John, chapter 1. So John chapter 1, and then uh, and this chapter is basically all about God becoming man, which is, you know, it's just mind-blowing that, that God would do this, that Jesus would become flesh. And so we look at verse 14, it says, And the Word, being Jesus, the creative power of the Godhead, um, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
So this separation between humanity and God that had to just be um, typified through, uh, you know, the cloud, through the pillar, through the sanctuary, has now become in the person of Jesus. Um, God himself came down to dwell among us. Um, so notice that word there again, dwell among us. And that term literally means, the word means tabernacled among us or pitched his tent among us. And that's, that's a cool thing that God, you know, we're the, this wayward people and God himself came down to be among us and to solve this problem of separation once and for all. Um, so Matthew chapter 1 says, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which you will remember is translated God with us. Right? So, again, fulfilling this prophecy, this long-awaited prophecy of God being with his children. Um, in Galatians, Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions, ad adoption as sons. So it's like this uh, renewal, uh, you know, a, a rejoining of being part of the family of God. When we walked away from him, he comes to us to offer this um, adoption that we can be made right with him and part of his family again. Um, God gave himself for us so that we wouldn't suffer the death that we deserve, but also so that he could call us into abundant life with him now. Amen? That he could call us from this sinful state where we experience shame and guilt to a newness of life where we can live abundant life with him dwelling in our hearts and leading us um, day by day. Um, in, in John, you can turn there, John chapter 17, verse 3. Um, I really like this. John 17, verse 3, it says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. At some point in my life, I, uh, I realized that my biggest fear was like losing someone that I love. For me, it was my mom. I was afraid of that even when I was young. And, um, and I knew even at a young age that this wasn't like a fear that we were supposed to experience. And wouldn't it be great if we never, if that thought never had to cross our mind, like, um, we all have relationships that we invest in. We all have moments in life that we just don't want to have end. Right. I think I call them campfire moments where you're sitting around the campfire and your conversation is so good. You're like, ah, you know, like, why do I have to go to sleep? Why, you know, why do I have to go to work the next day? Whatever it may be. Um, you want these moments, little glimpses of eternity that we share with each other. We want these to last. And, and that's the amazing thing, that this is the plan for eternal life, that those moments don't have to have, they don't have to be truncated. They don't have to be cut short. Um, and that we may know God, that we may, like we have these experiences with each other that we don't want this time to be cut short. But have you ever experienced that with God where you're spending time with him and you're like, I really don't want to leave right now because this is so good. Um, eternity will be that, that we may know God and walk with God. And um, really, you know, he wants us to walk with him now so that we're not leaving his presence. We may have to do, you know, focus on work or something, 
but he can walk with us on that journey, right? He can speak to us and lead us through the, the challenges that we face in life. Um, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus opened this pathway that we can be reconnected with the Godhead. Um, in John chapter 15, verse 9, it says, As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than, the, no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Isn't that beautiful? He calls us friends. So we could, I guess, imagine yourself, the prodigal son, coming back before your father, before God, and you know, you know, what you've done. And it's one thing to be forgiven, but you could expect like, yeah, you know, you're forgiven, but don't bother me much, right? Uh, you know, I, I know what you did. I know how you hurt me. But instead, like God wants to embrace us. He wants to bring us back into his family. Um, so this, this is what we see the message of the Bible is. When we sin and separate ourselves from God, the inclination can be um, to feel the shame and to not want to return to God. Uh, or to not really know how to do that, how to start that process of returning to Him. Um, but time and time again in the Bible, we see the message is clear. God is saying, come unto me, all ye who labor, and I will give you rest. So God knows this angst that we feel when things aren't right. He knows that we feel the separation from Him too. And He wants to draw us into rest and this reunion, this friendship with Him. So, um, after, after the resurrection weekend, um, I always like to read the book of Acts um, to see what the early church was up to, because it's a really powerful time where the Holy Spirit was just moving people to draw people to Christ. And they had an awesome message right then, right? I mean, Jesus had just come. God had just come in the flesh. And they have this story to share with the world. Not everyone's heard it yet. And so the early church was being sent out with this commission um, to let everyone know this awesome news. Like Jesus was the Messiah. And he did do what prophecy, he fulfilled prophecy so that we could be forgiven from sin. We could have freedom. We can be re reunited with our Father. So they have this message. And as I was reading through the book of Acts, I noticed a contrast between one of Peter's sermons and one of Stephen's sermons. So let's turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 36 through 39. And this, this is crazy. So as we read these stories, think about the parallels between the, the messages and then how they were received. Um, so... Acts 2, 36-39, it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this house, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So you crucified Christ in the sense that you sinned, right? His sacrifice was necessary because we chose a different path than he laid out for us. In 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. 
this whole message that Peter was sharing. And Peter said, and Peter said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So they were challenged that they had um, they had crucified Christ, right? And that's not an easy message to get. Uh, maybe they, you know, the people who are listening to this sermon, uh, maybe they hadn't accepted Christ yet. But while Peter is preaching, they are just, they feel the conviction in their heart. And they know that they've done wrong, but they want to know how, you know, what, can, what's, what option is left for us. So Peter responds um, in verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children and to all who are afar off, and as many as the Lord God will call, which is everybody, right? So the instructions are simple. Yeah, you did it. You crucified Christ, but turn, turn back to him. So don't like wallow in your ways. Don't say, oh, there's no hope. Um, accept his blood as the atoning sacrifice for you. Repent, you know, of your wrongs and, uh, and be baptized so a public symbol of giving your life and living your life for Christ. And it's the same example for us, right? When we are estranged from God. Um, so as Jesus had promised, um, God now wanted to find intimacy with his people through the power of his Holy Spirit in a, in a greater way than ever before. And so we saw at the Pentecost, people were repenting and being baptized, and God did really powerful things through the group that came from there. Um, so let's turn five chapters later. We're going to compare this with Stephen's sermon uh, in Acts chapter 7. And if you haven't read this, um, if you haven't read about Stephen recently, he's, it's quite an amazing life, and he had... He had a sermon right here before uh, he was stoned. And, you know, this is in prophecy realized as one of the last opportunities for the people of Israel to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. So that's who he's talking to here. He has a basically a court case with the Sanhedrin. They've called him up and they've accused him of blasphemy um, because he's trying to link um, prophecies up to Jesus, um, this beautiful message that the early church was sharing. So we're going to turn to uh, 7 verse 51 and read through 54. He had just shared um, this beautiful message about how Jesus um, fulfills all these prophecies and is the Messiah. And, um, and he quotes the, the part um, from Isaiah about you know, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, what house will you build for me? And at this point, um, the spirit of prophecy indicates that the people who were there, they tried to argue with him, and they got the top people in there, including Saul, that became Paul, to try and refute Stephen, and they couldn't do it. They were convinced in their hearts that he was right, but they, they chose to reject this message of Jesus being the Messiah. So he calls them out. He says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, Jesus, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. So they got the same message here, right? You, you're, you're the one who killed Jesus, as we all did, by sinning. But was that too late for them? It wouldn't have been 
if they just accepted Jesus into their heart. But they chose instead, uh, unlike the people um, who responded to Peter's sermon, who went on to do amazing things through the Holy Spirit and through having a reunited connection with the Father, um, these people went the opposite direction, right? They, they kicked the Holy Spirit out of their hearts, and what did they do? They ended up um, stoning Stephen. So you have uh, someone who is, you know, sharing the love of God, and the anger in their hearts just took over um, to where they have separated so far from God that they're killing his servant. Um, it's, you know, like killing it to begin with. is like, obviously, you strayed from God's design for humanity. So we know that just because there is provision for our forgiveness, that God um, wants to remove the separation, but he doesn't take sin lightly. And it, you know, it definitely, Jesus definitely paid a big price. Um, so I wanted to think about, you know, why would connecting Christ with the prophecies make this group of people so mad? And, and really, there's a few logical steps that have to happen here. They would have to accept that they're wrong in the argument against Stephen, so we, we couldn't out-argue him. <laughs> Uh, they had to, you know, accept that Jesus was the Messiah, um, which they were convicted of in their hearts. As the spiritual leaders of Israel, they'd have to admit that they missed this through the whole life of Jesus, right? They missed this message. They missed seeing his, him as the Messiah. And then they have to contend with the fact that they killed him. And it's really devastating that they were convinced that he was the Messiah, that he fulfilled prophecy, but their pride and stubbornness wouldn't get out of the way. They chose to um, reject the dwelling of God with man. And, um, you know, salvation was provided right in front of their eyes, and they rejected it. So if we go back to John, let's turn back to John chapter 14. And we're going to read verses 2 and 3. And so now we're looking past the early church all the way to eternity. And this is promise that um, Jesus gave. He starts out on one, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. That's the message that Jesus has for us. I go to prepare a home for you. I don't want to be separate. So, you know, we have uh, the sinful world that we're still living in. We're still, you know, we still can't be face to face with God, right? But he walks with us and he gives us this hope that he went to prepare a place for us, that we can be united um, when he comes back. So he solved the problem of separation and we're you know, living through history to see it being played out until we can actually be reunited with our Father. Um, in Revelation, the, the verse that we read um, for a scripture reading 21.3, I, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Hallelujah! 
man, it's everything that we don't like about life, right? He, he figured it out. He made a solution. We don't have to be separated. And furthermore, he doesn't want us to be hurt. He doesn't want us to be crying. He doesn't want us to have this tension that we often have in our relationships with each other. He wants us to experience the economy of heaven, which is God's love. Abide in me. And then every interaction we have is just God's love flowing through us, right? Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. I can't wait for that day. Can you make all things new? Be reunited with God. Be reunited with the people that we love um, and that maybe we've lost along the way. Um, So I want to read a couple more verses here, and then we'll wrap up. Um, Let's turn to the book of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 14. We'll start there. So I'm going to start, uh, I guess, after the heap it up (laughs) words there. It says, prepare the way, take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I will dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And in 1 Corinthians, it says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? So it's not just... um, you know, a temple that God dwells in that we need to get there someday. God wants to dwell in our hearts right now. And this verse in Isaiah talks about the stumbling block. What can get in the way of that? What can get between, excuse me, between us and God? And um, when it talks about a contrite and humble spirit, we see that pride is the thing that gets in the way, right? And pride can take a lot of different forms, but um, it almost always boils down to us not wanting to acknowledge our creator, us not wanting to acknowledge that he knows what's best for us. Um, some, we get tricked, right, into um, traps of believing that there's some way that's better than the way that God has set for us, that our creator who made us um, designed for us to walk in. Um, so what does it mean to me that God wants to dwell in my heart? I think about my personal experience, and I, I, I find myself falling away from God. This happens. And I, and I think about it, and I talk with God, you know, why do I feel distant from you? Why does this happen? I know that I want to be close with you. Um, and I think what's been a blessing is to know that he really wants me. I can see this through the Bible, and I know it's God mes- God's message to me. He doesn't want me to be afar off. Um, But when I know that he wants to dwell in my heart, um, it's sort of like no matter what shame I experience, the fact that I know that he wants me and he's gone to every length he can to reach me um, leads me to return to him. And I think that what's truly been a blessing in my life is to go through the sanctuary prayer process. If you haven't prayed through the sanctuary, it's pretty incredible. Um, I encourage you to look into that and um, reach out to me, reach out to Carl. He's the one that showed me how to do it. But to pray through, like you start out by thanking God, 
and you go through the process of repenting for your wrongs, and you go through a cleansing experience with God so that he can plant his word in your heart. And you can this separation that you have with God can be restored. And when you go through that process, when I go through it, it gives me confidence, a surety in my salvation to know that I have forgiveness with my Father. So I don't have to be separated. And so I, I want to, there's no like, uh, I guess, guessing game, you know, to know that you're in the right place. You can walk with God. You know that he will say to you, this is the way, walk ye in it. Um, so this morning, I want to ask you, how is your walk with God? How has it been recently? Um, maybe you're on a mountaintop experience with God, and that's awesome. Maybe he's bringing you to a place that you've never been before spiritually. Um, but maybe you don't feel close with God right now. Maybe you feel the distance and you're like not sure what to do about it. You're not sure that you can go back to him again. It's like, God, I've messed up before. You took me back, but why should you take me back this time? And it's that shame that sort of steers us away from God. That should be the alarm bells that go off in your mind, saying that that's, that thought right there, that thought process pointing you away from God is not from God. He comes to you. So I encourage you to take time today, this afternoon, reflecting on all the evidence that God has given you through his word, through your life experience that he wants to be with you, that he wants closeness with you, that he wants to dwell in your heart. Think about that. Reflect on, you know, how he's shown you that. And then speak to him and tell him what you feel in your heart. You know, God is big enough that he can handle our honesty. If we come to him and say, God, I just <laughs> don't feel it right now. He can handle that, right? Um, so open your eyes and see what... Um, Pray this prayer in faith that God wants communion with you and he will show you how to get there with him if you're really struggling with that in your journey right now. Um, I encourage you to pray it and then believe with eyes of faith and watch through your life journey how God answers this prayer bringing you close to him. It may be in little subtle ways that you don't expect and you just see, oh God, I know that's you and you spoke to my heart because I needed that message today. Maybe there's a journey that he's taking you on uh, that's difficult, and it may uh, be intended to align your character with his. Uh, so it may be, some of these answers may take time, right, in the journey of life to see really how he's speaking to us. Um, so it may be a time of preparation, but I encourage you just to reflect on the fact that God loves you, he created you, he knows what's best for you, and he wants to be with you. So God chose, he chooses to dwell with humanity in unique and intentional ways that minister to the needs of people throughout history. And he wants to do that with you now. At every step in history, he's doing what is best to reach you, the people before you. Um, so we know that sin really wrecks our lives. It doesn't, you know, it's not a big leap to figure that out. <laughs> I think we've all tested that out with uh, our life experience, right? But God wants to be with us anyway. He wants to walk with us through the tough times that we face. He doesn't want us to be going through life alone. Um, so the deepest needs of humanity are not left to chance. So I encourage you to join hands with the Almighty today. Um, ask yourself, 
I'll invite you to ask yourselves right now. Take some time to think about what you're doing in your life that might be preventing him from dwelling in your heart. God often calls us away from something at the same time he calls us towards something. So think about um, how much God loves you and the things in your life that might be standing in the way of you walking with him. So I praise God for this blessing that, that he loves me this much, that he wants to dwell in my heart. Um, so let's pray. Dear Father, we, I just want to praise you that you weren't a creator that made humanity, that made the earth and walked away. Lord, from step one, you were intimately forming us, breathing life into us. And Lord, your words still breathe life into us today. And we, we praise you that you are a God who loves us, each one of us. No matter where we're at on our journey, we can confidently say that you love us and you want to be with us. How awesome is it, Lord, that you, the creator of the universe, want to be with me so, Lord, I ask um, each person here in their relationship with you to evaluate what may be keeping them at arm's length from you. And, Lord, we just want to give you those things today. We want to say, no, I don't want to fall into the traps of the enemy. I don't want to let shame keep me separated from my Father. Instead, Lord, let us run to you, and we know that you'll accept us with open arms. So, Lord, we say, hallelujah, and we love you back. We can't wait to be with you forever, and we just praise you for making that possible. Lord, we pray this all in your saving name. Amen.